to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Doug Scott, the founder and CEO of Tectonic Video. Doug, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Steve. It's uh, an honor to be here. Uh, I'm excited to see your experience working in nonprofit communications in this video world. It has changed so much in the last 20 years that you've been doing this work. Um, And I have a lot of questions for you about the use of this tool for nonprofit organizations in their missions. But before we start diving into the meat of it, uh, can you just tell people a little bit more about Tectonic and how Tectonic Video does its work? We are a video agency for nonprofits which means we start with strategy. It could be an organization-wide or a campaign-specific video strategy. Then we implement that strategy from concept through post-production, and then we advise on distribution and measurement and even through digital asset management. And uh, we're humbled to work with some of the world's most amazing nonprofits. Uh, We're a little biased, but we think they're just the best. We create PSAs for the American Lung Association, fundraising videos for World Relief, um, branded content for mutual rescue, educational videos for groups out of MIT, Harvard, and Stanford, uh, and exhibit films for museums like the Tech Interactive and Chicago History Museum. And really, Steve, I think I have the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. I get to spend all day talking with people who are doing amazing things through their organizations to make the world a better place. And I get to tell stories uh, about that work. So it's just fantastic. We love what we get to do. Well, that is exciting. And there's a lot of really cool names that you just talked about there. And one of the things that I asked about uh, in setting up this conversation was um, sometimes people think that, you know, really well-produced, well-used video with all those metrics is really something that's reserved for your very large players. And those nonprofits that are medium-sized, a little bit smaller, um, maybe those are just not things that are available. But as we said, this world has changed a lot in the time that you've been doing this work where you know, 20 years ago, access to decent recording equipment was really difficult. But now, you know, most people have got something in their pockets that can do a little bit that can really help them get started. So when people come up to you and say, yeah, you know, I don't really think I need a a big professional agency, we'll just, you know, shoot it on my phone. Um, How do you start putting context around when do you use something as simple as a uh, phone built into or a camera built into a phone versus when do you start scaling up to thinking about what are the next steps in reaching audiences? I think that's the perfect question to ask because you're right. You no longer have to have really expensive equipment um, or work with a big agency to create really compelling content. Uh, We recently completed a study that's really looking at what engaging content looks like. And we are surprised to see how much of it really is not a high level of production value. And I can go into that in a little bit. But the question that you're asking is really great because what's behind it is what's the most effective and efficient way to leverage video to accomplish your nonprofit's mission. And that's exactly the question that every nonprofit uh, should be asking because video has high stakes. Um, It's a very high stakes communications medium. It has some high costs associated with it, whether that be in dollars to agencies or freelancers, but it could be staff time, could be the time and energy of volunteers. I mean, it just does take time as compared to an email newsletter or creating a, a quick you know, post on social media. But the promise of it is it can have some of the highest payoff for marketing and fundraising and for all of our other kinds of uses too. We really encourage people to think about how they can use video for internal communications, for training, for talent acquisition, and even for their programs. And again, it doesn't have to be a super high produced video. There are so many different ways that you can approach uh, how to create video content that works for you and for your context. Um, but the way, the way you get that answer 
is through taking a moment to think about what a video strategy is, what a video strategy should be for mm -hmm. your organization. You don't have to, again, put a ton of money into developing a video strategy, but it's important to start asking some fundamental questions because that video strategy will inform what kind of video you can create for whom, how often you should create it, what type of production value it needs to really communicate with that audience. And we're really big fans of helping people think through a framework of how they can use video to accomplish the different goals of different departments within their organization. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that strategy question before we get into the tactics of this might be the right tool for that one, or this might be the right tool for that. But what is um, some of the things that you think about for maybe that smaller organization that um, hasn't done much with video yet, hasn't really you know, thought it through, maybe they've got you know, a few of those uh, wobbly uh, you know, portrait aspect uh, camera phone things on a on a YouTube page or somewhere, but not really thinking through what are we trying to accomplish with this and how do you help them begin the framework for what's the strategy? So that we really think about there are different categories of videos. We've actually identified seven different categories of videos. Each of them has like a different audience, uh, different expectations, different goals, and different ways to measure effectiveness. Now, you don't have to get into all of these for your organization, but let me just run them down here to help spark imagination and, and ideas around this for you. Um, so the seven categories, and I can circle back and kind of break these down more. There's core brand videos. Second one is campaign and event videos. A third is social media videos. Then there's internal communications, there's talent acquisition, then training and onboarding, and then programmatic videos. So let me just break down real quickly what each of those categories are. So for yeah. core brand videos, if you're trying to, um, like I use an analogy of uh, food, we all know food and can <laughs> understand that very well. Uh, your core brand videos are your meat and your vegetables, your steak and green beans, your chicken and collard greens, shrimp and bok choy, whatever. It is the uh, heart of the meal. It's your protein, it's your vitamins, it's your good for you type food. Um, and uh, when this looks like in a nonprofit context, a core brand video is something that is really for people who have already raised their hand and said, you know, I'm really interested in your organization. Tell me more. Yeah. You're not trying to get their attention. You've already, they've already identified that they're interested and they're willing to sit through something that's probably a little bit longer than the average person would be willing to. And these types of videos can be like an organizational overview video or a case for support video, like the five to eight minute long, like this is our organization. This is a problem that we're addressing. Here's how we're addressing it. Here's what our impact looks like. Could be an origin story, could be donor testimonials or beneficiary testimonials, could be explainer video, really trying to break down the kinds of work, uh, the way that you accomplish the work that you do. So those are core brand videos. And those are really important because I, we always recommend that people start there because if you do get interest, if you make other kinds of videos and people do become interested in your organization, they're going to look to find a video that they can really dive into more yeah. understanding about what you do. And so because that's such an important video, I think that's the kind of video that you can make once every two or three years, unless you dramatically change what you're doing. And that's the one, if you're going to put money or energy or real thought into any specific video, that's the kind of category of videos that you should. Because I think if you do put, if you have any money to put into production value, this is the, way, the place to do it. It should feel professional. It really would speak to uh, the credibility and the authority that you have as an organization if uh, your core brand videos really are strong. 
Next type of video are the campaign and event videos. Uh, back to the food analogy, these are carbohydrates. This is your baked potato, your bread, your pasta to give you energy. They're fun, they're the light. stuff that you reach for first because it That's looks good. <laughs> That's true. And in a nonprofit, you are often looking for ways to generate new resources quickly. And so a campaign or event video is a great way to do that. Um, and, you know, these are the things that would be announcing a fundraising campaign, like your end of the year campaign. Or if there's an event coming up, you might create a, a film for the event to promote it um, or peer to peer fundraising or, or uh, something like that. That would be a great for a campaign or event video. And that can have all different kinds of production quality. It could be an iPhone camera, someone just talking about what the campaign is. It could be quick iPhone camera, uh, you know, testimonials from beneficiaries or someone, your, your executive director talking about what the organization's doing and here's what the campaign is right now. Those can take all different kinds of forms. And of course, we've made some real um, highly produced glossy ones for those types of categories as well too. Uh, the next category is social media videos. This is obviously getting a ton of attention right now. Lots of nonprofits are really shifting their focus for um, supporter acquisition, uh, donor communications through digital, through social media. And uh, to complete the food analogy, I'll stop the food analogy, I promise, mm -hmm. after this one. Uh, this one, these are your appetizers, or this is like a candy or a sweet snack. Um, these are short, they're bite-sized. These are the ones that you can really not have to worry about production value at all. If you go on YouTube or uh, Facebook or Instagram, like you'll see that lots of people don't really care about production quality with these kinds of videos. They're often very short and they're just giving you a quick taste of what the organization is about, um, a taste or like an emotion, um, a, a single piece of information that you can just have something that's a, a snack in between some of the bigger meals of in, uh, engaging with communications from your favorite organization. Yeah, let, let me interrupt three. you there for oh, just sorry, a yeah. moment because those uh, that uh, I think one of the challenges around that social video question is sometimes people um, are producing those very uh, um, timely. They're they're designed to kind of impact the moment, and they're not necessarily things that you will um, replay or reuse. Uh, I I throw around the term evergreen without knowing that not everybody really knows what that means. But you can have evergreen social, and you can have those really. This is good for today, right? Because we are hitting a topic that is you know really exciting on the internet, and people are are wanting to share on it. So we're going to do this really quick post using video to take advantage of that, but it's not gonna be something that we're pointing people to next week. Uh, and that's okay, I think that's good, but I think a lot of social gets confused with, um, that's where I do my very, very time sensitive stuff and not necessarily think about what if I had a library of things that were designed to be used more than once and more often, even if they are short and bite-sized and kind of you know, sweet appetizery. So um, I, I think, asking you to just comment a little bit more about how much you see that disposable, it's not going to age well video versus the, we think we can really continue to cycle this through different social channels more often. It's a great point. There's lots of different types of videos you can put on your social media channel. Uh, that can be the ephemeral, like we're talking about with, you know, addressing the moment. Um, we just did a study, which I'll talk about um, briefly here. It's called the Nonprofit Video Index. And we think it's the most robust study of how nonprofits use social media ever. We can't find anything more robust or bigger than this. It's 778 nonprofit organizations. We looked at their social media uh, video posts for one year. 
Um, so we have, uh, and it's also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So we have 45,000 video posts that we analyzed and something like 35 million different data points. And the point of the study was how are nonprofits using video? What's the most engaging types of video on uh, social media? And um, what are some of the like, key factors around uh, what's really engaging, what really works on social? And we found some really fascinating stuff. Um, there are all kinds of different videos on social. And there are lots of different reasons to put things on social because we can recommend that you can put pretty much everything on there. Mm. It will find some audience <laughs> in some way. Um, you, can, you can put, like we are talking before, the core brand videos. Absolutely put a core brand video on your social media feed. It will not get what we found, and it's what you would expect. It would not get the kind of engagement that a quick little 40-second, um, you know, uh, topic du jour would get because it's just a different format. A lot of people are just scrolling. They're not even looking at, not going to stop and they're going to listen to audio on social. Like the, almost 50% of videos now, I think that I read recently, people won't ever even listen to audio. They're just scrolling and they'll mm. stop for a second and just look at whatever text comes up, um, you know, with subtitles because they're are in the middle of something else or their kids are yelling in the background or whatever else. So uh, the ones that perform well, if you get liked and get viewed um, and get commented on, are the shorter ones that um, do have more of a, a you know ephemeral quality to them but put everything on there because there will be people that will watch your whole video there was a very counterintuitive example a few years back by an organization called charity water it's very well known um, a water charity and they put together i think an 18 minute social media video wow <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever I mean, millions and millions and millions of views. It was for their recurring giving programs. Fascinating. It's called, um, it's called the, the spring. They have another one called okay. the well. It's either the well or the spring. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> but uh, counterintuitive use of how video works there. But uh, there are lots of things that do really work well on um, social. And from our study, what we identified is the most engaging kind of content are short, uh, usually less than one minute. We did, were able to from all those on, 45 on social channels specifically or on social specifically. Yes. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, we, from all 45,000 nonprofit, um, you know, video posts um, that we were able to identify, we looked at the, what the top 100 were for each channel and overwhelmingly the top 100 most engaging were under a minute for, for each one for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So they're short. They very often will feature a singular emotion just talking about engagement now. And so the singular emotion uh, is one that uh, is going to help uh, make sure that you're not being, it's not, it's not complex what you're trying to do on a social media video. It's very straightforward. You're kind of hitting one note and hitting it over and over again. Yeah. And uh, that's what's necessary for there to be social transmission as social psychologists call it. And the emotions that really you know, help spur social transmission are joy and outrage. Videos that have joy and outrage by far outperform every other video as far as how well they get commented on, shared, liked, and then ultimately you know, equates into engagement so that more people will see those videos and they'll spread more on social media. So lots there to think about when you're creating your social media strategy. Okay. And then your other uh, categories. Yes. So internal communication. This is one that, uh, you know, it's a, it's certainly a nice to have, but we've seen where it can be really effective, especially with organizations where, um, you know, if they're a little bit larger, they have some staff in different locations. It's probably more of a medium sized nonprofit like you were talking about, but you're trying to do an all staff email. 
It's a weekly email. Who knows how many people actually read it? Um, we've seen really interesting things where instead of the email just going out, the CEO just records a quick video on their phone, quick update from the CEO. Then they also ask one or two staff members at different branches just to give a one or two minute update about what's happening at their branch, what's happening in their area of the nonprofit, or just introducing themselves to their colleagues. Uh, just really fun little things like that, that you wouldn't need an agency for. It could do it all yourself, but really helpful in helping to build the culture of your nonprofit. Talent acquisition, obviously hiring. Uh, we've seen really great culture videos that have really, from uh, HR friends of mine, have been really helpful in helping to cast vision of the culture of your organization. So if you're trying to find the right person, having a video there could be really helpful to um, you know, cast vision for what the kind of culture is that you are building. And the last two, training and onboarding. Again, some organizations wouldn't have a need for this, but you could be great resources to have um, on hand if you have repeatable types of training that you need to do for new hires, to have a, um, a, a video series educating people about the history of the organization or some specific processes you do. Again, this could just be a cell phone video, but it would free up one person from having to do this conversation every single week to having a video series that people could be updated on. And, um, and it could be great for volunteers as well. If you have an event coming up and you need a whole bunch of volunteers to get onboarded for it, to do a video would be a lot easier than having multiple conversations. Then the very last one is programmatic. I mean, plenty of nonprofits, what they do is having video program. That's the number of our clients, like whether it's educational, whether it's um, you know public service announcements, like making video is what they do for their programs. And uh, so of course, that's a no brainer that video will be a part of that. But there's also other organizations where you're more direct service as far as working with um, people living in poverty, um, mm -hmm. people who are uh, without homes right now, and you're doing some kind of skill transfer as part of your programs. Video can be really effective in helping uh, to you know make that a scalable um, intervention to have this you know knowledge transfer, skill transfer to people in your programs, but using video to do that as opposed to always being one-on-one -on -one training. Right. I think that that's a really interesting thing to be creative about how the programmatic work gets impacted by the use of this tool that uh, um, sometimes people don't really think to themselves how often they go, gosh, I'm not sure how to do that thing. I'll just find the how to on YouTube. There, there's going to be one, you know, whatever the thing is that I need to do, I, you know, fix a lawnmower or, you know, fill out a form for uh, some kind of assistance program. There, the number of people that will go look to spaces like that going, that's where I go to learn things uh, are, are huge. They may not go to the web and search there first. They may go to a video site like YouTube and look there for the how-to because it's so prevalent in how people go. So I think in terms of the tactics question of, you know, when do you use video, a lot of that is going to be um, who are you trying to reach and where are they going to find information? Exactly. And then you just hit on exactly what I think the answer to your question is of how do you know what to use, what types of production value, what types of equipment, what's evergreen, what's not. You really have to start by looking at your audiences. And one thing, um, a, a common issue that we have run across with nonprofits, whether they're making one video a year or they're making dozens of videos a year, is that they haven't taken the time to sit down and just talk to their audiences and find out what it is they really want to watch. You know, we have a video strategy process and the very first step is getting a baseline, a baseline of, uh, you know, what your benchmarking is, like how you compare to other organizations, looking at the assets that are already in your video library. And then the most important part of that is talking to your audiences. We have a process where we ask people to uh, 
we have two different groups of people, internal and external. And uh, the external, of course, would be your donors. Um, it would be stakeholders, other people in the sector who really know your work, or it could be your beneficiaries as well. Um, there's a survey that we can provide them with, as well as we put some of them into focus groups, if that's possible. But then for your internal staff as well, same things, interviews uh, with surveys um, and focus groups. And then from that information, the questions that we ask are, what kind of video do you like to watch? What kind of video do you watch right now? Mm -hmm. Sure. What, um, what kind of questions do you have about our organization that you would love to see answered? What kind of things would you like to see in a video? What do you care most about hearing in a video format? Where do you watch your video? When do you watch your video? How long are you willing to watch a video for? All those things can be really revelatory and especially informative in knowing what's going to be the best way to create content. Because if you find out that it's not really that important for people to get videos from you regularly, or it is important for them to get videos from you regularly, or uh, you know, it's not that important that you have the highest production value, but it's really important that um, they get you know, fresh content that you know, could be done on an iPhone. That's really essential for you being able to put together a strategy to know what's going to really work for you. So I think understanding all of those pieces of it, uh, um, as you think about that audience-focused strategy, some of it may be that, right, some of our audience is willing to um, sit, sit through something that has a shorter uh, production timeline. It, it, it's not as polished, all the rest of it. Um, are you seeing that based on who those audiences are, though, that, the, that some of those folks will engage more with that higher production value? And if those are the people you're trying to reach, you maybe need to step it up? Or I, I heard you say a little bit ago that maybe that expectation is waning a little bit. Not everything has to be quite so polished as maybe we thought. So the rule of thumb that we have, and this is maybe changing, but um, to your point about which audiences need a certain kind of engagement or a certain level of um, production value, we look at the core brand um, videos as the need, the, the group of videos that have the highest need for production value. So that's, you know, professionals coming in to help make those videos. The reason why is because those are often the videos that your CEO or your chief development officer or your chief marketing officer will send to major givers or prospective major givers in an email, or they'll be a part of a presentation that go to those high net worth uh, individuals that you're wanting to um, engage with your organization. And they have a short attention span. They don't have a ton of time um, nor willingness to engage on social media to kind of see all these little things that come in through you dripping, dripping in every day. Like you have one shot to communicate what the organization's about, why it's vital that they support your work, um, what they could see from an investment in your organization. So because of that, the investment into putting high quality stuff in front of them. And they also, a lot of times, major givers and high net worth uh, individuals, um, you know, do value and expect there to be a high level of production value in video content because they, they feel like that equates to quality and trustworthiness for your organization. And that a level of professionalism that they would value and whether they're going to support you or not. So we really think that the core video assets, that's where you put um, core brand videos. That's where you put your dollars into. Um, and that's going to be the people, the kinds of videos that will primarily be put in front of um, your high net worth givers and major givers. Of course, you can share those videos with everybody. They can go to your internal communications. They right. can be put on your social media feed. 
conversely, social media videos, this is for a different audience. This is, you know, in fundraising world, what more would be uh, viewed as your smaller donors potentially, or maybe even the activist crowd. They haven't really given much money to you, but depending on your cause, you need them to do things, get fired up, um, like things or share content. You know, what really works on that platform, you need to adjust your tactics. Highly produced stuff can work on Facebook. It certainly does work on Facebook. I don't think though that it has to be highly produced. They get a much better investment and bang for your buck if it's timely. So uh, back to that study I mentioned before, the nonprofit video index, we identified five types of content that we thought was, um, well, that we identified was being the most um, you know, powerful and engaging on social media. And the first one is kids, cuteness, and animals. <laughs> if anyone's well, watching, sh you shocking nobody. I think if you've ever seen, you know, the the puppy video on the uh, fundraiser com competition space or whatever, that it's you know, hey, it's our day of giving, and shocking no one, the American Humane Society is topping it again because they've got kids and cute puppies and kitties and stuff. Absolutely. Animals, I mean, our research has confirmed definitively that animals do indeed rule the internet. And so <laughs> we jokingly said, if there's any way you can just put a puppy or a child into the video that you put on social media, it'll certainly serve you well. Um, so that's, that's a top content type. Another one though is emotional reactions captured in real time. When we analyze the top 100 most engaging videos per channel for all these nonprofits that we studied, the emotional reactions captured in real time was incredibly compelling and got tons of engagement. And so what this could look like is, um, you know, someone who just completes um, a program and finds out that they're going to college, like getting their reaction of the moment that they hear or open up that acceptance letter. Um, it could yeah. be someone completing a program. It could be someone hearing that they were uh, selected for a scholarship. Um, there could be something else uh, around, uh, you know, someone that's completing a certificate um, in one of your programs and that emotional reaction that they have that, 45 second single take, no editing necessary. Um, emotional reaction on social is gold. And it is one of the most highly shared and commented on and you know, liked and celebrated um, types of media on social media. So again, not a high production value, but it's good to know that that kind of, again, that's the emotion we talked about before, that joy, it really is engaging on social. So in the strategy question, as you're talking about organizations that have those moments that are organic, you know, um, I kind of, as you were talking, I'm thinking about, you know, the work that I do consulting with nonprofits about, you know, communications and, non and fundraising strategies. And whatnot. I, I'm not going to do a video where I just hold up a puppy and go, now let's talk about donor databases, right? I mean, it's not organic. It doesn't fit. So for those organizations that have those real connected human moments where it's like, wow, that scholarship letter opened up or the acceptance letter or whatever, they need to, I think, in the strategy question of using video, think about how we capture those, but they can, individual moments can be reused in those core brand things as well as those kind of campaign or social or other places when you get to that concept of an asset library that you mentioned way at the beginning of this conversation, right? So the strategy is sometimes about, we know we want to do these types of videos, but in sourcing for them, we really got to think about the future use of some of that content in other spaces. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah. The, the live reaction stuff works great on social. It could certainly be killer in a core brand video as well too. Um, it could be completely produced and it gets to that live moment. There's tons of examples now of where you have a very highly produced video, but it's mixing in user generated footage 
which is what this would kind of qualify as capturing an emotional moment in real time. But what really sells is just the emotion. Like if there's a genuine emotional moment, humans can't help but engage and, and react to that in a positive way. And, um, you know, putting, going back to the idea of having their, be a whole library of different types of video assets completely agree um, as part of the strategy that we put together with organizations and that you could do yourself as a nonprofit. Um, you know, when you start thinking through those seven different areas, core brand videos, campaign and uh, fundraising, um, you know, social media all on the way down, like all those things begin to form a library. And we've seen where people begin to rotate that content through. Um, there's a concept on social certainly of called throwback Thursday. It's where you just pull up whatever it is from the past that you think was really great and put it back there on Thursdays and you've got the hashtag uh, TBT and everyone knows, Oh yeah, cool. That's an old thing that we saw. I mean, you can do that with video assets really easily as well and just continue to reuse those same assets and same moments over and over again. Um, so that, you know, over time, you can build up a really substantial library that everything will always feel fresh because you've got so much content that you can turn back to. So some of those uh, will be sourced at different quality levels. And if you do want to bring them in as pieces to that um, somewhat more polished production, there's ways that you can incorporate, well, you know, maybe it's not the focus we would have wanted. Maybe it's not the audio quality we would have wanted. You can still find some ways to tweak it and use segments in that um, nicer, you know, uh, higher level production piece. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, the world, this is one of the ways in which you mentioned earlier, the world's continuing to change. Like uh, people's um, appetite and acceptance for different levels of video content all smushed together into the same piece has really dramatically changed in the past few years based upon social. Because you see it all the time. Even the news now, it's always amazing to me how much of the news is a Skype live interview, you know, with someone somewhere in the world that just happened to be, um, you know, calling into CNN on Skype yeah. or they're showing user generated footage and it was, you know, shot in portrait mode. And we've all seen the effect where it's, you know, the middle of the screen, you know, when you're looking at it on your TV, it's, uh, it's in landscape, but it was filmed in portrait. So you have the middle part of the screen is the film thing that was filmed. And then the sides of the screen are either just black box or they duplicate the main video, um, make it big enough and blur it out. So it kind of looks like a picture in picture thing. Um, but you know, people don't even bat an eye anymore in the past. That would have been, Whoa, what's going on here? Why didn't they have a full video image for that part of the video? But no, no longer people have completely just given up on worrying about what that production quality, uh, looks like. And just there, just tell me the story. Tell me what's really going to make me connect. What's the information here and and, uh, what do I need to know? So how much of your work with a charity that comes to you going, all right, we want to get more serious about this. We get the value. We see that that engagement level happens. Um, if they sit down and you have that first conversation, but let's talk about your audience. Where are they? What do they do? What are, you know, all those things that you mentioned a little bit ago. Um, is a lot of your engagement with them around kind of uncovering just the strategy or do you then come in and, and actually do production uh, you know, with and for them, or how does the, you know, now we've decided on some of the things you need to do. These three things, go shoot with a camera phone anywhere you are, you know, post them up, that's fine. But these things over here, let's talk about a schedule for how we're going to, you know, produce those in a different way. Are, are you engaged in the actual production part of that? Or is that not something you do? Oh, uh, yes, we are engaged in the production value part, uh, production side of it. Um, th- we have two really separate service offerings. One is our strategy service and the other side is the production. And um, 
you can come to us for either side. And if what other side to come to us first, we're going to try and put the other one into it. <laughs> if it makes sense, as far as like, if you come to us for strategy, we will at the end of the strategy process say, look, if you want us to do production for you, here's what it would look like. And here's what we'd recommend for production and, you know, do a proposal in essence of how we'd implement some of the work, but you're under no obligation to use us for the production side. If you come to us straight for production, we're going to do whatever we can to bring the strategy side into it because it only makes for a better video product. The more that we understand your organization and the more um, that you, uh, the client, has really thought through some of the issues that we think are really important in order to put together a compelling mission. But what, what we love is when we're able to work with a client to put together a video strategy and say, you know what, you should be handling this, 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 this. If you wanted to have somebody come in to help you with production, it would be this. And very often it's a core brand video um, or it's, um, you know, sometimes could be a campaign uh, video. Like in, in that case, you know, it'd be good for you, we think, to work with an agency. It could be us, could be somebody else. But the rest of the stuff, have at it. You know, here's, here's how we would approach it if we were you. We can help put together a plan as to how they can film it themselves, use their own iPhones and then right. put together little edits themselves. Um, cause we really want, um, to empower organizations to make great video and not be dependent upon having the dollars to put into hiring an agency all the time. That's just not sustainable nor feasible for most organizations. So I, I get this question in my work a lot. It's, you know, how much, and you know, it's so painful as a consultant to go, well, it depends, dude. I mean, seriously, <laughs> and nobody wants to hear that. They, they all want to, you know, know the answer a different time, but uh, how do you help people think through that? Well, when is it time to hire the professional and you know, what are the things that might impact cost? How, you know, it's, you know, certainly a function of time, but I also imagine, you know, you want that super cool opening drone shot. Okay. Um, you know, we can figure <laughs> out how to do that, but that's probably going to be an expense that we don't usually incur. Uh, how do you talk through that concept of, all right, you've got some stuff you do with your own equipment, but when you're ready to take it up, uh, how do you start thinking about budgeting for these things and thinking that through? Yes. Well, we're straight. We know that, and you feel us all the time, I'm sure too, Steve, it is the awkward pause in every conversation when talking <laughs> with somebody <laughs> where they start to really kind of think about, okay, do we have the money to be able to pay for this? And I, I get it. So before I started my company, I used to work for a nonprofit, two different nonprofit organizations. One as a video professional and another one as a chief marketing officer. And I am very well aware of uh, in my mind, having the number written down that we can possibly afford as a nonprofit and then working with a great agency to, you know, that we're looking to hire potentially and then going through the whole process and then they slide a number across the table and I'm like, oh crap, I have nowhere near that kind of money to afford what that agency was asking of me. So we try and just be really upfront. Like we're very clear that for our video strategy process, I mean, we just name a price as of today, it's $10,000 to run our video strategy process. We know that's an investment, but we think that's going to pay off for you for years and years to come. And it's going to help make all the videos that you do in the future, much more effective. And as far as videos, like we do have a minimum of what we're looking to um, get in for a video for. And it's, it's not that a video can't be done for less than that. It's just what it costs for us to be able to right. do that. Videos can certainly be done for less than that. And, you know, there was certainly um, in the life cycle of every organization, there's a time, I believe, that you rely primarily on um, your, your best friend's college roommate who is doing <laughs> you a favor. That is certainly an era of every nonprofit organization's communications uh, you know, era, uh, timeline. 
Then the next step up is the single freelancer who is really great at doing a whole bunch of different things. You know, and then the step up after that is when you go into an agency. So there's nothing is wrong with either one of those or any of those steps. You just get different trade-offs with each one of those steps along the way. And we're in the agency bucket, but you don't have to use agencies. You can use right. a freelancer or you can, you know, beg, borrow, and steal with people who just really love what you're doing and are going to do the best they can to give you what you need. Yeah, I, I think it's always important to talk about that uh, concept of, yes, this is an investment of money right now. And if you choose to not make it in this category because you think that you want to invest it in another program staff position, which you know is the, p- pretty much the normal response I get from a lot of nonprofits. Like, well, we got to put that money into one more part-time person or we got to put that money into a, something else like that. Um, I do think that understanding of what's the potential impact on reaching new folks that could support this work or you know, just streamlining the program process with the people that are already engaged if they need video to do that. I, I do think that looking on that return on investment thing is challenging, but it is always a challenge for nonprofits, the smaller ones specifically, to look at anything that isn't, you know, paying for staff to do some mission-related, very specific thing to say, this is mission-related to grow that support in many cases, sometimes to just reduce cost in delivering services, but I think it's um, challenging. So I, I want to acknowledge that that's there, but at the same time, um, hope that the uh, folks listening will think about, yeah, sometimes you just have to make that right investment in a little bit of you know stuff. I, I often tell people, do you have directors and uh, officers and directors insurance for your board of directors? Like, well, yeah, I'm like, that's an investment that you're not using for, or you don't have to, you're not legally required. You know, right. you decided that that was important to invest in that contingency and, you know, that's fine. I think it's a smart business thing. I think it's the right thing to do. But think about that when you're investing in other things that impact your work and go, right, that's not, you know, as visibly direct, you know, service oriented, but it helps us get there. And I think that's important. So that all said, I'm kind of back again to these kind of tiered levels of, right, you can kind of get it done a little bit with uh, a mobile phone in some circumstances. But, you know, we're having this conversation on an audio podcast, and we joked a little bit ahead of starting about uh, audio quality. And I do really think that if you're asking people to hang through anything that isn't that short social snippet, um, if the audio is really bad, it becomes extremely difficult to hang in that conversation for a long period of time. And I think that's a real challenge uh, as people kind of work with, you know, a phone that's 20 feet back from where people are without thinking about, you know, there's actually ways of solving that problem. Um, Do you coach people through, maybe they invest in a little bit of equipment if they're going to do their own videos, you know, maybe they get that lavalier mic or they get, you know, something else to work with so that they can improve the quality of what people hear. Yes, that is, that is important. If we are working with them to develop their strategy and big part of the strategy is them capturing stuff on themselves. We have a whole toolkit and like a little guide of how to use your phone in the best way possible. There has been a tremendous explosion of amazing tools to turn your cell phone into a very viable like production suite, like a very viable camera. There's everything from lavalier microphones that plug right into your lightning uh, adapter or lightning port on your iPhone. Um, there are uh, stabilizers now uh, that you can have, uh, that you can use your phone to keep it completely rock steady. Even when you're moving, it's just a couple hundred dollars. There's lenses you can put on your phone now. It's just crazy what you can do to make the video phone quality really compelling. And for a little investment, you can have a, a, a pretty dependable rig that um, you can use to capture a ton of great stuff. 
I, I'm glad you also brought up things like those little stabilizers and getting people to think, right, if you're going to do some things that are in those um, intro levels, let's remove some of the barriers. Um, I personally am not an Instagram user. And I, again, I think it gets to that puppies and video or puppies and, and children kind of thing. Like there are some things where Instagram just is the tool. And then, you know, orientation of the video just freaks me the heck out. And it's just a, a function <laughs> of how that tool works, right? So you kind of have to think about that like if we're trying to reach an Instagram audience we're gonna have to think about you know that this is what that tool wants it doesn't want you to do these other things um, and I, I think it's good to acknowledge that but then to be ready with what if we are gonna go ahead and shoot something that's more designed for a YouTuber or a Vimeo or embedded in our site with one of those tools or whatever um, to uh, stabilize that image if it's gonna be you know shot out in the field get a, a, a you know a $35 tripod um, that holds your phone while you stand away from it uh, instead of stretching your arm out uh, is a tremendous step forward for a lot of people in just eliminating some of those barriers. So getting a few of those tools in makes a lot of sense. And that, as you point out, is really not very expensive. So I'm glad to hear you, you know, kind of think through that with people. When they're ready to step up a little, do you recommend they think about any professional grade equipment on their own? Or is that just always something where it's better to say, keep some basic tools around for yourself, but when you want to step into the actual professional stuff, maybe better to hire a professional to do it. Yeah, I'm, I am of the persuasion that if you're looking to get to a professional level of, of equipment, you should hire a professional. The reason why is because we, <laughs> we didn't own any, we're a video production company. That's all that we do. We didn't own any of our own equipment until even last year. We, for 10 years, all that we did was rent video equipment because it changes so quickly. The investment that you make today, kind of like when you buy a right. new car, it's half the price of whatever it is when you leave the lot. Yeah. With, with video, it's the same thing. Your camera you buy this year will be completely outdated next year. And there are incredible sites online. Um, we use a number of them, lensrentals.com. Quick shout out to Lens Rentals. We use them <laughs> pretty much exclusively. You can buy stuff for just dollars or not buy it, but you can rent it just for two or three days, however long you need it. Um, and uh, you could use that yourself, but even better, just have a professional who already has the equipment. Let them figure out all the maintenance and upkeep and downloading drivers and all kinds of stuff. If, you know, if anything gets broken, they get that all fixed um, because they'll come with their equipment. And if you, um, which, what you get um, besides just having really great equipment is somebody who is really well e equipped to use that equipment yeah. very effectively. And you'll just get a much better product um, for, I think, a well worth investment in having somebody who really knows what they're doing come in and help. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm, I'm noting that we're running a little low on time. So I do want to ask you about um, metrics and measurements as a part of your strategy question. You talked a little bit about that too at the beginning. Um, absolutely. If you just check anything uh, about other communications tools that you're using and you've embedded something that's at all watchable, probably you're going to see much more engagement when there's a video component to those things than you do for other methods. That's pretty easy. But some video performs better than others. How do you look for what tools are like, oh, the, the, our audience really seems to engage in, you know, this type of thing. And, you know, how do you know uh, from what you measure that this is the thing that's the right direction? So we look at, in order to really know if any strategy is working effectively, you need to have a baseline. I mean, this is outside of video. This is just in life or in general for whatever program you're doing. I'm sure nonprofits do this for their programmatic work. They start out with like, where are we right now? 
And only by doing that and doing that at a level that you're looking exactly at what it is you're going to measure moving forward, will you be able to show whether you're having any improvement or whether you're getting more effective? Uh, we also recommend, so, so you right now you benchmark yourself. This is where we are in the different metrics we're looking to measure. So for social and different functions of video, as I mentioned earlier, have different things that you could measure, different categories of different things you could measure. So um, for social media videos, that's the most straightforward. You, you know, if you log into the back end of your social media account, there are dozens and dozens of things there that are yeah. being measured in real time for every video that you're making. Um, so you can look at a lot of those personally. We just really want people to focus on the engagement ones. Engagement are numbers of likes, shares, um, and reactions and comments because uh, that's what the social media algorithms value the most is engagement. And uh, the more engaging your content, the more eyeballs it will potentially see. So views aren't really that important. Views are much more of a vanity metric. Um, you can, for a few dollars, buy as many views as you want <laughs> with uh, using either the in-network in uh, advertising capabilities or there are click farms. I wouldn't recommend that, but it's possible right. to get as many views as you want for any video that you want. But it doesn't mean that you're actually having engagement or um, moving the needle as far as people's perceptions of you or engagement with your organization. So benchmarking, um, looking at where you're at right now. We also like to look at what you're um, peers are. If, if you could see my fingers, you could see that they're in air quotes, competitor, <laughs> com competitors, perhaps you might call them as well, uh, to look at what kinds of the numbers of videos that they're making, what their engagement rates are, um, put that together to create a baseline. And then moving forward, you're able to then see, oh, wow, this is above our baseline, this video that we created. What about this video do we think really correlates with that? Let's try another one in that same direction to see if that also has a higher level of engagement. Maybe the length was important. Maybe the comp subject matter was really important. Um, you'll begin to, you know, by doing those kinds of experiments, see what's really working and, and what correlates with higher uh, numbers. But that really works for social media. What about for the core brand videos? For that, again, the baseline isn't necessarily numerical because yes, you'll put them on Facebook and Instagram, but they're not really designed for those platforms. They're nice to put on there, but mm -hmm. they're really, again, to engage oftentimes major givers, um, you know, key stakeholders in your organization to learn more about what you're doing and want to get more of an in-depth look. So we want to create a baseline for that as well. So we find every organization's got some friends, some friendly major givers who really believe in what you're doing and would be willing to help you out. And, and you know, let's say we have a communications project we'd love your feedback on. Almost everyone I've ever asked to do that said, sure, I'd love to help out. And so we do a little focus group. We show them your media currently and get their true, honest reactions from it. It's helpful to have an outside agency or someone on the outside ask people questions because they're a little timid to give you what they really think if you're on staff <laughs> at the organization. But to have them, true, really, true. Yeah, have them really give feedback like, yeah, this video does not work for me, here's why. Or this is way too long or whatever. Get that feedback and you, you, know, you have a survey that you put together, you ask them to grade things on a scale of one to 10, you get a number. So this, number, this video scored a 6.3. You know, you have that number and their feedback to go to the next video and try and do a better job, taking their feedback into account, making another video, go back to that same group and say, now, how would you score this video? That's a way that you can begin to show demo, uh, you know, improvement over time that has a numerical value to it and a, a way of being able to demonstrate that you're getting better. 
Right. And like everything else that charities do, of course, you know, this is a, a component that can be measured in conjunction with other things. If you're using a more sophisticated outreach thing on that major donor campaign, for example, yes. they'll yes. get their own individualized email. You'll be able to tell, did that particular donor stick with that video for all two minutes and 28 seconds, or did they not even open that message? And therefore, we're not sure if it was the video or they were just busy. You know, those are things that um, augment what you can learn from those tools and, and the survey work afterwards. So I think great things to think about. I have like seven or eight more questions for you, but honestly, we are out of time. So <laughs> I want to uh, um, you know, conclude by just you know, asking you to tell people where they can find more about Tectonic and, and learn how to keep in touch with you. Oh, well, thank you so much again, Steve, for having me on the show. And I'm, I'm very grateful for the work that you do. I've listened to a number of your episodes. I've learned a ton and I will continue to keep listening to continue to learn more about our craft. So thank you for the work that you do. And um, as far as wanting to learn more about what Tectonic is doing, tectonic.video. It's kind of a weird extension. There's no .com. It's .video. That's a real thing. So tectonic, T-E-C-T-O-N-I-C dot video. On there, there's a tab for strategy. And it's, it will be a um, kind of summary of what I've talked about today as far as how to have a video strategy. And then all of our work is on there as well for some of our different clients that you could use to um, you know, get your own ideas sparked for what kinds of videos you'd want to have for your organization. Outstanding. Doug Scott is the CEO and founder of Tectonic Video. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Steve.